0: Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm really geeked out this week uh, to be talking with Bill Pulte of ESU3 about cybersecurity, a topic that, as uh, Bill and I sit here, actually, we're at the Administrator Days conference in Kearney. And a number of different conversations that I've had, side conversations in the hallway, everyone is talking about cybersecurity. And to be quite honest with you, I personally don't know a whole heck of a lot. So I'm really grateful to Bill for joining us today on the pod so that we can get some messaging out about what's going on in our state uh, and just learn more about this hot topic in education. So Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Returner too. We had you on for an episode about a year ago, which is terrific. And so for those that don't know, you can give us a little bit of your backstory in education and the work that you're currently invested in right now at ESU 3. Yeah, so I'm a CIO at ESU
1: 3. I started my career in 1999 as a computer tech and then was Elkhorn Public Schools Network Administrator and then Director of IT for Papillion La Vista and been at ESU now for three years. So, although cybersecurity is one of these things that is becoming more talked about around the state, in my roles it's been talked about for 18, 19 years quite a bit. So, yeah, it's, it's nice that we're seeing more more discussions around this.
0: Yeah, and with that background knowledge, like you're saying, 18, 19 years of having these conversations, uh, for somebody that is like cybersecurity, I'm not really even sure what we're talking about here, um, hackers or something, right? Can you give us a little context for that in an educational sense?
1: Yeah, I think other industries have been concerned about this for several years, banking and energy and some of those types of things. And we've seen those in the news. We saw the Colonial Pipeline and we saw, you know, we've seen these types of events happen, And education for a long time has said, well, they're not going to worry about us. It's not going to happen to us. And we've been blessed that it hasn't really happened in education until the last five years. We're just starting to see an uptick, and it kind of started in the college level. Um, And we saw some data breaches at the college level. And now we're starting to see more and more happen at the K-12 level as well
0: and so when you talk about a data breach what is it that these individuals are, are seeking i just know we're saying data information like what kind of information what's the process with that a little bit yeah i'm just curious to know more yeah there, there are two main things that we hear about or we talk about and
1: sometimes those two things can be independent but sometimes they can be related as well so you know a data breach is you've got somebody in your network and they're just collecting information so we all run systems we have payroll systems and we've got student information systems We have those types of systems, and what kind of information can they collect from those? So that's the first one, and the second one is these ransomware attacks, and we've seen way more of those in the last couple years, where they encrypt all your data, and then they want a ransom to recover it. You know, $250,000, and we'll give you the key to recover this. Both are bad. I think that the ransomware is more noticeable. People see that, and it becomes newsworthy. They do stories on it and stuff like that but the other one can be just as dangerous, if not even more dangerous, because you don't sometimes know what data ha- has been breached, what data is out there. And so both are concerning to me.
0: Gosh, so if I'm hearing you right, you're saying that there's times where there's just this open window to whatever information the school is collecting, going, and, and schools might not even be aware of that. And then in other instances, yeah, it completely shuts things down and you can't even get into your system, right? right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So. Uh, This is a a stat that uh, in 2019, Tech Republic looked for six months at every data breach that got reported over a six-month period, and they went back and looked at the investigations. And of all the data breaches they looked at, the smallest amount of time the bad actors were in the network was 43 days, and the longest amount of time was 890 days. So that's over two years of somebody being in your network collecting data that they could potentially sell off, that they can use in other ways. So those are the concerning things. Like, you don't even know if they're there or what's there, and they could be sitting
0: there for two years. So, yeah, that's alarming to a lot of network people. Oh, it's alarming to me, too, learning about <laughs> this going, honestly. And we don't want this pod to necessarily be a scare tactics right. pod, but, but you do have to raise your awareness. And, and as you're saying over the past five years, it sounds like things have escalated, and so it's important that we... Uh, are having these conversations and being a little more intentional in what we can do to to help prevent this and so uh, I know you presented over the course of these administrator days on this topic and you were sharing with me a little bit before we started recording about kind of the four steps yep. um, and so if you could share a little bit more of that with our listenership that would be cool to learn about
1: yeah so the the first one is just getting into the network
0: and this is where
1: the user can play such an important role because A lot of times when these come in, you know, we think of a a hacker sitting somewhere doing what they call brute force attacks, where they're just trying to get in. And it does happen that way, but that's not the most concerning to a lot of CIOs and network administrators. The concerning part is how many come in because somebody clicked on an email link. That is probably the most common. People get an email, they don't realize it, they click on the link, and now they've infected their machine, and then it can kind of spread from there. The other one is they call social engineering which would be, you get an email from me that says, hey, you need to update your Amazon account. And it looks like an Amazon email, but when you go to the website, it's not Amazon. And I ask you now for your username and your password and your credit card information and all that kind of stuff. You put it in thinking you're entering it into Amazon's website. Well, you're, you're just putting it into a website that I built and now I've collected all your information. So those are the three ways that we get concerned with people getting into the network And again, that's where the average user can be diligent about what they're doing. And we know that we need training around the state. We need training with teachers and paras. And everybody who has a computer or an account on your
0: network probably needs some training around some of this so they know what they're looking for. Gosh, that's really interesting. And so if you could give me then like the the second part of this like anatomy for the attack. Yeah.
1: So once they're in your network, the second thing they're going to do is they're doing a lot of what I call evaluating your network. So... They are just scanning for things like if you've got a finance system, they might be just scanning. Hey, what ports do you have open? But also, they could be looking at if they're on a computer, what account credentials does this person use to log into that accounting system? That's what they're doing. They're just collecting information. And when I said that that study forty three to eight hundred ninety days, you know, the people that were in for eight hundred ninety days, that's what they were doing. They were just they were just sitting there evaluating the network. Where can we do some damage? But also, what information can we collect? Oh, I've got a finance system over here that's got social security numbers in it. I'm going to pull all those social security numbers and sell them on the dark web. That's what they're doing in step two. And that process can last a long time. And I think that's part of what concerns a lot of tech people is just the fact that you don't know if they're there. So you don't know what's happening right. while they're in there. And then the the third step there is the privilege escalation. And this is the idea that this person may not have rights to a certain system, but the bad actors might use some sort of uh, script or some sort of backdoor to, to do what they call privilege escalation where they give that account more privileges than what they probably should have. And then once that's done, that's when you've got a little bit of mayhem, right? Because that's when they can say, okay, we're going to collect this information and we're going to sell it or we're going to you know, they say the bomb's gonna go off where you've got ransomware, and that's what you saw with like Colonial Pipeline. Right Now every computer and every server is completely encrypted. And then they say, well, if you pay us, you know, X amount of dollars, you can get your data back. What I think's interesting, I heard something a couple weeks ago that one of the things these bad actors are looking for when they're in your network evaluating is they're looking for insurance information because a lot of people have cybersecurity insurance and in your policy, it will say how much money you're covered for with ransomware. So then if wow. they know that amount, then they know what to ask for when the ransom goes off. So if you're covered for 500000 they know, well, let's ask for a million and then we can work from there. But they, they know where to start. And I hadn't even thought about that until just two weeks ago.
0: Gosh. So, and thanks for walking us through those steps. Everything from, just to kind of reiterate this, right? Like how they get in. And then what they do initially to kind of assess the system before giving themselves additional privileges, right? right. Is what you were saying yep. to a point where then they're able to shut the whole thing down, and uh, that's it's kind of terrifying to right. think that they're even <laughs> setting their own you know ransom numbers according to what they have access to behind the scenes. Yep, uh, and so what is going on in Nebraska? Help us with all this. We talked a little bit about insurance. I know there's been some efforts uh, at the state level to just get some more information with Alley Cap Survey and, and things like that. So yeah, can you speak to kind of where we are in our lines of defense against these uh, attacks?
1: Yeah, so ESU3, for instance, is an Alley Cap district. And we have several other insurance companies that are doing a little bit of the same stuff where they are, they're sending out a questionnaire just to To assess how prepared districts are for something like this and the idea is if you're not prepared you know if you don't meet a certain threshold of preparedness then they may not cover you for ransomware they may say nope if you get a ransomware attack you're just not covered for it you're going to have to take that take that on yourself and i think that that's bringing an awareness to a lot of people like what are we doing for these systems and and what should we be putting in place The ALICAP survey had 13 questions on it. It's due back by uh, August 15th, I believe. And they're questions all the way from, do you provide two-factor authentication for every email account? And so we've been having conversations, the the network's teams across the state have been having conversations with ALICAP about what do you mean every account? Like, are you talking students too? And they're saying, yeah, we wanna know if you have two-factor authentication on students. And think about that as, a, as an ex teacher. You know, right. if you got a, a second grader or a third grader who has email, how are you going to? If you got thirty kids or twenty five kids in a class, how are you going to do two factor authentication with all those students? I mean, that's that's probably not going to happen on a. It's probably not going to be very effective. But you could say, well, maybe we need to put this on every staff member. And not very many districts have done this for every staff member. They've said. We're going to put it on critical accounts. We're going to put it on IT staff, and we're going to put it on business staff and principals. But they haven't done two-factor or multi-factor authentication for a teacher account or a para account. And maybe this is going to provide the impetus to say, okay, yeah, we we need to be doing more of this. The one thing I, it was probably 2010 or 11, I did a need presentation. And the gist behind this was the fact that, you know, as you increase security, you decrease usability a little bit. Yeah, uh, You know, it's... And it's trying to find that balance where you're not making the system so secure, it's not usable, but also making it secure enough that you feel comfortable with your protections. And I think that we're starting to have those, Alley Cap Survey is providing an opportunity to have those conversations with superintendents and school boards and principals and other people across the state, which I'm thankful for. It's It's been a conversation that, IT groups have been wanting to have for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and probably were solely responsible for for a long time. Right. Yeah, so that I'm glad you said that because I, that was the point I used when I started my presentation this morning is the fact that for years, cybersecurity has been thought of as a function of IT, and sometimes it has almost felt like we're, we're swimming upstream, like people are working against us. You know, we, we do things in such a way to make life easier for people using the systems But it's making it less secure. And so I think a lot of people are excited to start having these conversations. And what can we do as a state? And personally, for me as an ESU, what can we be providing to our districts to enhance the security they're doing and what they're doing with it? And if it's training, you know, any of those types of things. I gave the example you know, we have a requirement to do bloodborne pathogens training every year, and and you know some of those types of things. I would love to see a cybersecurity training as a required training, and I get that 30 or 45 minutes is not easy for everybody to take that time, but I think the benefit can outweigh that 45 minutes that would would go into that each year.
0: Yeah, gosh, well, and there's so much. Okay. I feel like I have three or four things I want to like double back <laughs> to and, and talk about here. Um, First of all, and maybe this is not necessary, but I will say when we're talking two-factor authentication a a moment ago, you're really talking about as you log in with a new device, that it also has to be approved through a secondary email or through your phone or some other, right? And so that's our second, that's our two modes which would be a nightmare like you said as a classroom teacher to say all right i have 151 students right now and so we're going to spend the next two days just make sure everybody signed on for this one app that we're going to use for this week right uh and so that that poses its own challenges with that i think and uh and i was going to ask too as you said that maybe we put this on teachers paras and it and, and you start to work your way up in terms of that hierarchy of administrators and things as you get into districts is that because my question there is, if we are not putting this type of thing on a student account because it doesn't have enough privileges, if we're getting back to what you were saying before about those four steps that people take, because right. it's, it's really going to be hard for them to scale up through the system when students usually have a pretty basic uh, account, I would assume, that doesn't have a whole lot of privileges beyond their own capacity to log on. Yeah. So, yes, I
1: agree with that. Um, I think there are other things we can do is, from a technology standpoint to mitigate some of those risks. So... Uh, for instance, you know, if your domain, and I'll use ESU as an example, sure. is if my account is wpulte at esu3.org, we put our students on students.esu3.org. So we're separating those accounts a little bit. And then we could do things like flag those accounts. So somebody couldn't send from a student account to a business manager without it being flagged that, hey, don't transfer money if you get something from, the, you know, I think there are things we can do to, to mitigate some of those. The other thing is when we reply to our our survey, I'm gonna put this out there, but I actually think giving students email accounts and access to Office 365 or Google has been a benefit for security because previously the students were logging in at the building and then they were saving to servers and so your server farm was really large. And so by using Google and giving those students email accounts, they're now saving to Google Drive or OneDrive and what you've done is you have essentially limited your exposure from the server realm. So now instead of having 20 servers, maybe you only have eight. And so the benefit there outweighs the the, the risk to me. Um,
0: Can I ask, so does that mean that you basically just run, take all your info and run into Google's bubble? Or like yeah. Microsoft's bubble? Is that the way that works? Kind yeah, it of? is. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a
1: that's a great, that's a... That's a great point because okay. that came up, that came up uh, at a presentation yesterday. You know, what about the risk for these third-party companies? And we, we assume Google and Microsoft a lot of times are protecting our interests and, and they're doing everything. And I agree with that. Those aren't the concerns I have. For me, it's the smaller companies where a teacher goes to anita presentation and sees this great piece of software that's out there. Has anybody vetted that and does anybody know what their security is? And now we're putting student data up there or we're putting student work up there or whatever that is. Has anybody actually looked at at that company and is it a reputable source to put that stuff? So, yes, I agree with your point, although I I lose less sleep over the Googles and the Microsofts Mm -hmm. than I do some random company that somebody found at a conference at some point.
0: Yeah, and that makes total sense. And I know just from my own time in the classroom, even the, and you alluded to it earlier, that whole, this would be a really great tool for my students to use tomorrow. And if I have to wait to get it approved, it might be two to three weeks. And at that right. point we're already kind of past the window. And I just learned about it. And I'm really excited you right. so hate to squash some of those. But at the same time, and there's a desire I think then from a practitioner standpoint to say, well then just give me a list. Can you not just put together a, a simple list of all of these different, and that's almost impossible. Right. Because, <laughs> but at least from my perspective too, well little I know about this, because uh, there are so many tools, there are so many apps, there are so many different places that teachers are pointing students, and in the midst of all that, uh, those settings change. Uh, and so, what might be safe today, all of a sudden, if a company has a change of ownership or a change of policy, and now they're going to start pulling cookies and find out information, you can't. Got to be at least 13. <laughs> like, right? Like, there's all these different things that are really difficult to stay on top of for the. 400, you know, however many are out there, right? right. So this poses a really uh, big challenge without having something like a Google, I would imagine, or Microsoft as your authentication into those, right? Uh, right? Am I? Ab- no, you're 100% okay. correct. And
1: the largest districts in the state have done a little bit of that, right? The, the Lincoln public schools have said, hey, we're going to create a list of things that meet what we want to do with student data privacy and, and all those types of things. But they have the manpower to look at some of those. And it's not always possible for every district to do that. And that's the it's the unique challenge we have in Nebraska, just because we do have, you know, we've got school districts that have 65,000 kids all the way down to 100 kids. And not everybody has the same manpower to, to deal with some of this stuff.
0: So then I'll ask, I guess, let's say that I am a smaller district or mm-hmm. one that you could be a large district too and still not sure. have the manpower right. to keep up with this uh, monumental task. Uh, you could certainly look at what... LPS is done, mm-hmm. right, and access that. And then I also know Common Sense Media is a place where, I mean, it might not be the end-all, be-all for rating those those types of right. things, but there is some information there uh, mm-hmm. to kind of start where. Um, would you rank those, or what else could you point people to as maybe they're listening to this and looking to get started? Yeah, I, I cheated off Lincoln quite a bit when I was <laughs> in a district, right? I they, yeah. I they had done some of that
1: work, so I could just use that and go to their site and, and do that. Uh, Common Sense Media, I think, is a great place to start as well. I, I would personally like to see, just in general, around cybersecurity, uh, a larger initiative with ESUs to bring some of this data in, and then also on the training, you know, help build some of these cybersecurity trainings, or at least partner with companies that do it. There are good companies out there. Proofpoint is one. No Before is one that provides some of these trainings, and I think ESUs can help vet some of those and help. Districts understand. Hey, this is a, a great one to use. Uh, somebody who was in my session brought up the fact that, hey, I'm not a full time uh, tech coordinator. I teach as well, you know. So, yeah. how do you balance that? How do you? Well, I got lesson plans to do tomorrow, but I also have you know these trainings that I want to go through. So, I, I think that we need to to even crowdsource this a little bit and not rely on each district having to do their own thing, but maybe if one district does something or an ESU does something, we can share that. I, I think we're going to have to do some of that with this cybersecurity.
0: Uh, and so those conversations are happening right now mm-hmm. at the ESU level? Yep. Yeah, we're having
1: discussions. Early in the spring, we got brought into, several of the ESUs got brought into a conversation around Proofpoint and purchasing it for every teacher in the state. And my concern with that was that you've got districts who are already doing some of this stuff. And, and you really want to go against that. And that's kind of where I am. I would like, I'd rather have us sit down and do things right as opposed to just doing things quickly. Um, I think sometimes we're, we lean towards doing things quickly because we've known for years that cybersecurity could be a problem. And so we're like, well, we've got attention to it. Let's put some money at it and get it fixed. I would rather spend a year doing it right then do something quickly in, in the next two months that's going to have to be undone down the road.
0: Right, because when you're undoing that, you're undoing it times the, what, 144 different districts we right. have across the state, yep. which is it, its own task. Yep. Uh, and so it's great that there's yeah just that level of thoughtfulness and intentionality and that the conversation's already being had, and it sounds like with this proof point that you've like found a potential partner in some of mm-hmm. those efforts, uh, and so... That's good to know, given the serious nature of this, and as you said, that it's something that seems to be kind of on the rise and a hot topic. So what, uh, I'm novice at all this, right? What am I not asking? What's something that maybe uh, we should touch upon in this conversation that we haven't?
1: So, yeah, so my, my point this morning, and I think it's a good one, but it's, it's not the whole story, right, is that this can't be just a function of IT. That being said, there are functions of IT that need to be looked at there's a whole section on the questionnaire about backups, for instance. And I think every district needs to look at what they're doing for backups and make sure that they're hitting a certain security um, and that they're hitting a certain level with those backups. I also think, and this goes back to an ESU, for instance, we're currently looking at a a backup solution that can do multi-tenancy. So a backup solution, what that means is that Multiple districts could use it, so we put it in and then a district that maybe doesn't have a backup solution We could just carve out space and they could back up to our backup solution. So I think those are the types of things Yes, I think it's important for these conversations to be had with a lot of people But I think IT people also need to look at some of the technical solutions They have in place and make sure that they meet certain requirements backups are just a one example I also think we need to look at how we're storing data and where it's being stored. And and a perfect example I can give is a lot of people on job applications are still asking for social security number. And then they're storing that data. You know, they might have a third party company who stores that data. Do we really need social security number on a job application? We're going to get that later after they're hired. Do we really need that? Do we really want the risk of storing that on a third party system? So that's just one example of places I think we need to start having conversations about what are we collecting, how are we storing it, and that's not one that you need every teacher involved in, but business managers need to be involved in that, uh, CFOs if you've got them. I mean, those are the types of people who need to be having those conversations. So that's more work that needs to happen as outside of just the regular training and the everyday stuff as well.
0: Gosh, yeah, because there is. this is not a simple fix issue, but like you're saying, all those little efforts in one area or another are just going to serve to heighten. I'm sure these are the 13 questions on the survey, right? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that's a, great that that survey is sort of bringing some of that to light, and I'm always... Uh, And not surprised, we're just always grateful that ESUs are standing in and and finding ways to kind of be the parent host site for all of this backup, for example, right? right? Being able to kind of serve multiple districts in in what our capacity is. And and we always do such a good job with that. So to close out then, for somebody that's listening to this and maybe is like, well, it's great that these things are on the way. I'm a little nervous now having listened to this pod. Um, What would you say, I guess, as far as the future with this or our ability to protect our students' data? So I'm going to leave with uh,
1: the fact that the, our insurance rep, when we had a conversation with her, said that there have been four network breaches in the state of Nebraska. So it's here, and the, the threat is real. But that being said, all four of those have recovered from their their breach. All four of them have gone through the process. So if it happens, there are things you can do afterwards. Our goal now is so that it doesn't go from four to five. And I think that's the work that's being done. But if it does happen there are things in place and there are things people have been working on to try to make sure that the downtime is limited the exposure for staff information and student information is limited i think that's the work that has been done up to this point and now it's a matter of going the next step okay let's let's make it so this never happens again yeah
0: well thank you so much for bringing your expertise and insights to this conversation uh it sometimes is even reassuring to know what's going on and to be a little more educated about you know everything from the process to the current work and so uh, bill always great getting a chance to chat with you so thanks for thanks for sharing today thank you